Greetings again. Thank you for plugging into The Kicker. If you're a first-time visitor, this is our weekly podcast from Columbus Business First. We think it's the top source of business news and information in Central Ohio. Busy time for business lately. We'll be talking with one of our reporters, Carrie Ghosh, about an intriguing alliance in Columbus's medical community. Also back with us, we'll chat again with Dan Eaton, our reporter who keeps tabs on the ever-changing retail and restaurant scenes. Topic will be microbrewing. That's good. Still a rising segment in Columbus and just about everywhere in this state. Dominic Cap, editor in chief of Columbus Business First, here with Doug Buchanan, our managing editor who handles the digital side of our newsroom. Before we get into some conversations going with Carrie and Dan, some notable news developments worth mentioning. Doug, tell us. So the Patrick Jays uh, over by Clintonville has been sold and uh, closed on uh, closed over the weekend, and they're going to redevelop that and a neighboring vacant site uh, next door that used to be a White Castle. Um, and uh, it turns out White Castle is involved in uh, in the project, just like Bohr and White Castle are together redeveloping a site down in the short north. Any details on what they're planning? Uh, they haven't said a lot, but uh, I think you can expect uh, some kind of residential and retail uh, component. Uh, that seems to be the flavor of things these days. Um, and it uh, kind of follows in with this uh, uh, thing that we're seeing with Donato's is also uh, doing a, its own redevelopment project uh, in the short north. So the food company is kind of getting into the real estate game. Absolutely. And anybody who knows the Borer name in central Ohio knows that it was related to Dominion Homes from years ago. And He's no longer building in the suburbs, but uh, has concentrated on downtown, primarily the short north area, and he's getting into the into the condo market. And so I got to believe if he's involved, you were absolutely right that housing is probably on the um, on the docket for that uh, for that piece of land. And I it's think been they, an, it's been an interesting pivot for for the borers to to go from suburban uh, single family to to really redeveloping in the uh, in the city. Absolutely, and I think they get their project going down in the short north sometime this summer. I think is when they start construction on. Um, on the White Castle uh, uh, development, eight stories high. Okay. Well, listen, this morning we found out a little uh, surprising news over on the healthcare side. Uh, we're going to let Carrie talk to us a little bit about it, but just as a, uh, a, a setup for her, Adeptus Health, which is a for-profit hospital company out of Texas, um, has signed an alliance with a, uh, a hospital system in central Ohio. One, I think, that may surprise some folks, but I'll let Carrie sort of talk to us a little bit about the details and also what it might mean for both sides. All right, yeah, that's one of those days you open up your inbox and say, what? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> uh, so uh, I'd been uh, covering the Adeptus story since uh, a couple of folks around here noticed some interesting property moves, strange little LLCs forming back in 2014, um, connected the dots back to this Texas company that um, had recently gone public and operates uh, the, the country's largest uh, string of uh, freestanding emergency departments on a for-profit model. Um, and they had been expanding into Colorado. They had announced a, a hospital and a string of ERs for Arizona. And here they were buying places, filing for building permits in, in Columbus and in the suburbs around here. Um, so we'd been, they wouldn't talk to us, and we'd been following that over the past two years. They suddenly went quiet. Stop, you know, they bought some land, um, but they, they got some extensions on their building permits and just let them sit for a while, and we didn't know why, if they were leaving the market or it was it taking a while for them to find a hospital partner. Their preferred model is to find a local hospital system that will co-brand with them. So Dignity Health in Arizona, University of Colorado, in Colorado, 
um, and they put that hospital's nameplate on, but use their uh, their retail model of healthcare, which suddenly makes the ER profitable. You know, you, you think, boy, the ER is where hospitals lose money, but it turns out if you break out the ER from the hospital, put it out in a suburb surrounded by people who have lots of employer-based insurance, and you don't get gunshots, you get you know chest pain. Um, these things make uh, about a thirty percent margin. Wow, and that's yeah. what happened in Grove City, right? With right, the- and so. Um, smart as I am, I decided the, uh, the logical partner for them would be OSU, which is the only one of the three major hospital systems that does not have its own freestanding ERs. And intriguingly, one of the places where they'd been, um, where Adeptus had been making moves with a public body was for a parcel directly in front of an OSU care point in Lewis Center. So I thought, aha, we're just waiting for this announcement. And it came out as Mount Carmel, which, you know, you would think you'd need to cross Mount Carmel off the list because they invented freestanding ERs for the central Ohio market. They started with Diley Ridge back in 2010. Um, That's a joint venture. Then they opened in Grove City uh, and just last month opened in Lewis Center. They're all set for freestanding ERs, it would seem. Uh, However, uh, nope, Uh, I just talked to their spokesman couple minutes ago and he said actually that is the reason they said it was a natural partnership for a national thought leader in this model to join with the pioneer in this market for freestanding ERs so any sense for the number of ERs that would be set up I mean if if nothing else Adeptus has something in common with airlines it sets up on a hub and spoke system exactly Uh, their their first thing that they had filed was engineering plans for a 24-bed hospital um, off of um, when you're going up 71 and you pass McGraw Hill uh, at the Gemini exit, there's a little wooded parcel right next to that McGraw Hill building, and they purchased that um, after filing engineering plans for a hospital. Um, that that little city permitting process has been dormant for a while. There's a tiny bit of movement in December. The city asked them for some information. Um, so what? Uh, Jason Coleman, Mount Carmel's spokesman, just told me was anything you have seen or reported in public records about their property moves, I cannot confirm or deny that that will be one of our plans. But he did say, yes, they will. We do expect the hub and spoke that one of the things built would be an emergency department with some kind of inpatient beds and that the other ERs would be departments of that hospital. This, is, this has got to change the dynamic, I would think, for Mount Carmel's ERs, whether it's at their big hospital on the east side, whether it's on, at Mount Carmel West. Those are areas cl- clearly that get an awful lot of emergency cases out of, the, um, um, out of the, some of the low-income neighborhoods on the east side. We know that Franklinton and the west side, the hilltop area also is low-income, and those are the primary hospitals there. So I'm, I'm trying to get a sense for um, what it will mean or what it might mean for, say, Mount Carmel East and its emergency room, particularly since at one time, I think you reported that Adeptus was looking out in the Reynoldsburg area. They were. Um, they were looking out on Broad Street, um, and, and they told uh, Reynoldsburg officials that broad frontage was important to them. Uh, they had walked away from one site they had looked at because they couldn't come to agreements on height variance. Um, uh, that, that is a, a point about Adeptus is 
they locate very differently. You know, it's it's margin versus mission. So our hospitals are in the, the places where you, you note that, um, you know, dense population, a lot of them on Medicaid, uh, Adeptus, every place that they were looking at was in a um, densely insured area. And their, their national finances about, um, you know, it, the last time I looked, it was 99% of what they get is a, a commercial insurance as part of their revenue. Um, looking at their most recent quarterly filings up through September, um, they as yet do not accept Medicare Medicaid. They have applied to be uh, part of the Medicare Medicaid program in Arizona where they open their first hospital but aren't yet approved. So what they do with those cases if someone walks in the door is write it off as charity care and that percentage uh, of charity care write-offs has gone up and up. It's now 10% of their, uh, equal to 10% of their revenue. Got it. So did Mount Carmel give us any indication sort of what the next steps might be? Um, he phrased it as the beginning of a journey. Um, so they will be assessing sites. Um, you know, can't confirm or deny anything. Everything's on the table. Everything's off the table. Um, kind of, you know, when those frustrating type of answers, but... Um, they're going to start the long assessment process of where to put things. And uh, also, um, you know, I said, would you rebrand the thing you just opened in Lewis Center? The, the fitness, this is a hybrid fitness, wellness, outpatient, ER, all-in-one building. The fitness side is run by an outside company from the Chicago area called uh, Power Wellness. Um, I said, you know, it would make sense to bring Adeptus in to take over management of the ER side. He said, you know, we, we can't, it's too early to say we so also same thing, Mount Carmel West, now a hospital, will become a freestanding ER and outpatient campus when they open their Grove City Hospital. Would that become an Adeptus uh, facility? Too early to say. Um, what is clear is uh, where Adeptus has operated nationally under a first choice ER nameplate when, before it started this uh, partnership with local hospitals deal. Um, that brand apparently does not come to Central Ohio. Everything would be a Mount Carmel facility, you know, brought to you by Adeptus. Okay, okay. Well, we know that if nothing else, the Adeptus name is back in the news after about a year and a half's absence. Something completely different, and we're talking uh, beer these days. This week, Dan Eaton. That's how you end up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> Dan Eaton was down in Dayton. Uh, Hobnobbing with 300 guys who make beer, which is not a, uh, a bad uh, lot in life. But uh, clearly they meet every year. Heard some interesting comments from some, uh, some folks who are sort of at the vanguard of the industry. And uh, why don't you talk to us a little bit, Dan, about uh, what you heard. Yeah, I was uh, spent uh, Wednesday at, in lovely Dayton, Ohio at the, the second annual uh, uh, Ohio Craft Brewers Conference um, the, the attendance doubled over last, more than doubled over last year, over 300, uh, 300 brewers from around the state there, brewers and, and suppliers and some other folks as well. And uh, the, the, the mood around, uh, was, was pretty overwhelmingly positive. Everyone's riding this wave and, and feeling pretty good about uh, uh, the, the industry and the lives that they've uh, chose to, to make for themselves in this world. And uh, uh, that was encapsulated by the, uh, the keynote was given by, by Jim Cook, founder of, of Sam Adams. Uh, he just kind of, I think he just summed up the, the, the feeling around the industry, which is uh, the times are good, uh, uh, everybody's feeling good about what they're doing, but uh, you can't be complacent and you can't just go out and make beer. You have to at some point get better. So all these new brewers 
um, you know, folks that have just entered this this world in the last four to five years, I think that, that they're starting to to heed that message now that you can't just roll gear out there and say, hey, this is it, that, 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 that some of them need to be better at what they do uh, uh, to make this a lasting uh, industry. And, and the beer industry is getting pretty popular in, in Ohio. You got to remember the beer industry has very, very deep roots in the state. Yeah, clearly from its German heritage, but uh, uh, it's coming back in a in sort of a different form now. Yeah, yeah. It's you know here in Central Ohio, about five years ago, we had you know the three big brewers in the town, and then maybe a couple smaller guys that were just starting up on the fringes. And uh, at my last count, we we're in the the high twenties, maybe even over thirty now operating breweries in Central Ohio. Um, and that's just going, that's only going to continue going up. I have a list on my desk of, of, uh, of business names that have filed, uh, you know, who knows how many of them turn into real breweries, but uh, there's a good 10 there that, 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 that we still haven't reported on yet to see, uh, to see what, what happens with them. So, so from w what are the issues? What are the issues that you heard for the brewers at the, at the conference? Um, uh, you know, as I mentioned, quality is a big one. Uh, you know, there, there, there's a call to to for everyone to be better at what they do to make more consistent beer, to make higher quality beer. Um, you know, some of these folks that are growing up fast are taking steps like adding labs and more quality control. Uh, uh, you know, steps in, into their process. So, so that's something that a lot of people are clamoring for. Outside, you know, the big issue are, are the big guys, particularly Anheuser Busch, InBev. Um, who who clearly have some? They're losing market share. They're still by far. I mean, they they they, they dwarf craft, but uh, but but clearly have worries. So they've been buying up craft brewers. I think they bought three in the span of five days back in December. And uh, you know, there's a there's a worry in the industry about that because the more brands that Anheuser Busch or some it's not all Anheuser Busch. There's some other big companies out there to, that have bought some folks, but. Uh, you know, there's a fear that the the, the bigger those uh, those companies' portfolios get, the more uh, the easier it is to squeeze the smaller guys off grocery shelves, in, in, in particular, and in, in, in tap handles. And, and so that's there's a uh, there's a worry about that, but it's 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 high level. You know, a lot of the folks in Ohio are kind of small enough. I don't think they're on you know like an Anheuser Busch's radar. You know, at an individual point, but certainly the industry as a whole is, and, and that's a concern. So to, so to be so to be concerned about Anheuser Busch means that you have to have a brewery operation that does some bottling, does some canning where you go out in front of consumers, as opposed to just opening a, a, a brew pub, putting a, some beer making operations in the back, and and serving a clientele that way. Correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're 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 right on. And and it's interesting that you bring that up because, uh, um, you know, the question if you, if you write about beer, if you're in the industry, the question you always get is, you know, when is this going to stop? When is this growth going to go? You know, uh, you know, when's the bubble going to burst? That's what everyone always says. And, and I would argue, and I think a lot of beer people argue, that it, it, it's not a bubble situation. I think there's a, there's a very real shift in consumer tastes. And it doesn't always mean we're going to be at, uh, you know, 40, 50 breweries. We may not be able to sustain that. Who knows? Time will tell. But I don't think we're ever going to go back to a point where we have five. But, but, but as you noted with the brew pubs, that's one of the interesting things is that I think you're seeing more breweries in part because some of these people uh, would have maybe just opened bars before, but instead they're doing more investment up front in, in, in turning that into a brew pub, which is, is certainly hot at the moment, but, but, uh, but uh, you know, it's sustainable if you know what you're doing. You can just be your neighborhood bar, but instead of being a bar, you have to happen to be a brewery, and that's a lot of what the operators out there are. So I, I picked up this passage from one of your stories that you wrote this week coming out of there, and I, I'm, I'm curious to... 
uh, hear your um, um, hear sort of your take on what uh, Jim Cook was getting at. And you wrote at one point he compared the freedom a winemaker has to the missionary position, while equating brewing to having the Kama Sutra. Um, great journalism. Yeah. And uh, I what it sounds like he had a. You said he spoke for an hour, so I don't know if it was a stream of consciousness. But uh, what what was he getting at there? He was getting at, and I, and I do think, uh, uh, I'm by no means a wine expert, I think he's probably selling wine a little short. I think it's probably a little more complex in, uh, than, than, than he was giving it credit for. But he, he was getting to, uh, to the process of making it. You know, he, he boiled wine down to basically, uh, you have grapes. That's it. You have grapes, and you, have, you, you can use wood or steel, and that's basically what wine gets down to. But, but he was making the argument with beer, uh, you can use just about anything. He compared it to being a chef. He's just did sees this world of ingredients uh, uh, that that you can play with and make all these creations. And, and um, uh, he does not feel you can do that with wine. Got it. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> so so what? And and in the and on the brewery scene, what did you hear that might be new that we'll see coming down the pike for beer drinkers? Yeah. Um. You know. If you're a beer drinker, I don't think it would be any surprise to 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 say that you know people are still very focused on IPAs as a style. Uh, um, <laughs> I <comment>. absolutely <laughs> agree with Doug on that. Well, one. you are, know, in, in but I those agree. are popular. Yeah, they're they're very popular, and and I I said for years, even as a beer drinker, I used to say that IPAs are my least favorite style. But I've I've come to learn that IPA is actually very broad. There's a whole. There's, there are so many sub-segments of IPAs, and there are some that I definitely do not like, but there are some that I really enjoy as well. And then uh, barrel aging and sours are something that, that everybody talks about now as well. The bourbon, bourbon barrel aging, you mean? Uh, any just any barrels. You're okay. seeing a lot more. Uh, you see rum barrels, you see cognac oh, barrels, okay. you see wine barrels. Um, I don't remember which brewer it was, but I had a bourbon barrel, and it was very mm-hmm. good. That, yeah. that's, I like that. There's a there's a, there's a lot out there, but 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 even the the, the barrels have gone beyond a bourbon and, and whiskey, which are the typical ones that people would use. But but the breweries are, are finding uh, all sorts of used barrels to put their stuff in these days. <laughs> okay, okay. The so so give us give us your sense for the longevity of this trend. As you mentioned, but the, didn't the, we? We reported though that we have all kinds of capacity, to, right? I right. Mean, by and there, there's different studies, different different measures out there, and by most of them, Columbus actually ranks low in terms of the amount of, of, of brewers we have. And then, and again, brewery is it's a, it's a specific term, but it's also broad. That encompasses you know uh, a, a larger player like Columbus Brewing Company, who's who's the biggest here in town, uh, on down to folks like Stoss up in, in Delaware, which is just a little, like they have their bar and they have their operation there. And I don't even know if they distribute. I think you have to go to them to get it. So that's a pretty broad range in there. You can have gambling operate. operations that have a brewery. That's right. Scioto Downs, the Brew Brothers. A Racino in town that has opened uh, a brewery and a restaurant that it, it operates at. And so it, it seems that I, I would imagine that as the business sort of matures and we see here that it'll go beyond clearly the beer is is the uh, uh, is is the king uh, but we'll see places that offer something extra in terms of entertainment to get people to to get in the door and then also part with their uh, with their money uh, this week uh, oh, one we, last thing we yeah we, we actually business first became news the new head of the Columbus Chamber of Commerce will be business first owned, Don DePero. Um, after 20 years, he's leaving us and taking over the uh, mostly small business operation. Uh, we wish him well. It's been a good run here. 
Uh, I think he's going to be a great fit for the chamber. They uh, are looking to increase their membership, and that uh, involves a lot of getting out there and meeting people and uh, and doing some individual selling. And uh, anybody who knows Don knows that he's very good at that. And having been here for so many years, he knows a lot of people. Uh, so I, I think he'll do well, and I wish him well. Absolutely. We have uh, no word yet on who the replacement publisher will be. We'll go through the the traditional process of, of looking for candidates and screening them, vetting them, and, and we'll, we'll have a name for you, you interested, sometime Dan? in the future. I am not. Carrie? No. Happy Ram. Happy Ram. <laughs> okay. but I've known Don for many, many years. Actually, he and I grew up as reporters uh, in another age. I think our dinosaurs were around at that point. And uh, I know what he's capable of doing. I, I actually agree with Doug. I think that Don is the type of person, number one, he's known all over this community. Uh, secondly, he is not a guy who's afraid to get his hands dirty to get the job done. And so I think that uh, that's what people at the chamber can expect, that he'll get out there and grind away uh, at, uh, at accomplishing his agenda. So that'll do it for us this week. Our thanks for your listening. You know, speaking of listeners, Rick Titus and I were talking. Rick is the guy who produces our podcast and mentioned that some guys on his hockey team have become regular listeners, uh, which goes to show, just goes to show you, Rick, that uh, we appeal apparently to a highly intelligent class of folks. <laughs> so this is our shout out to the Arrowhawks, okay? Apparently there's something of a juggernaut we've heard in Columbus hockey circles, at least among those teams that like to go to the bar right after they play. So Columbus has a winning hockey team. Yes, Columbus finally has a winning hockey team. Ouch. That is outstanding. We're going to put <laughs> we're putting Doug on the circuit after that one. But we hope Rick and his Hawks, okay, have another successful season. So if you want Fresh's Business News, let's get back to it. Fresh's Business News and Market Intelligence, we've got it for you. Get online as it breaks from Kerry and from Doug and from Dan. Uh, and the rest of our new staff, you will find us at columbusbusinessfirst.com. promise you there will always be something there to raise your eyebrows. So until next week, uh, more news and perspective on everything business in Columbus. Goodbye. Goodbye.